This episode is brought to you by Milano Cookies. Look, sometimes that long Zen yoga class is just not in the cards. So maybe a cookie is. Pepperidge Farm Milano believes you should make some time for yourself once in a while. I know I have a particular space in my sewing room that I like to just take a few minutes every day. I sit there. I think about things. It's kind of like meditation and munching at the same time. You can get that yummy, beautiful cookie flavor. It makes it luxurious and delightful, and I always feel recharged. Milano cookies are truly a treat worthy of your me time. They're delicate and crispy with luxuriously rich chocolate in the middle. You really want to keep these just for you. So remember to save something for yourself with Pepperidge Farm Milano. How do you find a new way forward when suddenly you have to, ready or not? Maybe you're relocating or having your first baby or leaving a relationship. Just starting or just starting over. On the road to somewhere, we talk about all of it, getting really honest. And we definitely laugh our way through it. That's the beauty of this journey. I'm Lisa Oz. And I'm Jill Herzig. Join us as we navigate our own big life changes on our podcast, The Road to Somewhere. Listen to The Road to Somewhere on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Holly Fry. And I'm Tracy B. Wilson. And uh, today on the podcast, we have an interview with Dr. Henry Louis Gates, Jr. Dr. Gates is the director of the Hutchins Center for African and African-American Research at Harvard University. He's a prolific content creator across multiple disciplines, including but not limited to filmmaking, journalism and literary scholarship. This is like the most pared down version of his CV you could possibly have. <laughs> and normally we have often said like we don't usually do specific pro- programming for Black History Month because we try to make Black History happen year-round. So we All the year. Because people had reached out to us and they were very interested in doing a Black History Month-related discussion. Uh, and since it's the last podcast of Black History Month, we figured why not? This would be fantastic because he is a great interview. Yes, that as, as soon as we got the email, uh, the original time was a time that I was going to be physically on an airplane and I emailed Holly immediately and, and said, hey... I I want us to do this, but I personally cannot do it. <laughs> I said I will do it. Like it was some big burden to me. Like I was so excited too. Yeah. So. <laughs> we're both very obviously we're still very excited. Yeah. So his work has won so many awards, including an Emmy for the 2013 PBS series The African Americans Many Rivers to Cross. In 1998, he was awarded the National Humanities Medal, making him the first African-American recipient of that honor. He was actually just awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom last year. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he, I mean, his contributions to uh, history, scholarship, and African-American history in particular, and African history, cannot be oversold. Uh, And he is currently working on a whole lot of projects. Uh, he's in the middle of filming the fourth season of Finding Your Roots for PBS, which is a series that explores the genealogy and family histories of famous guests, like people that are influencers in society. And debuting tonight, if you're listening to this on the day we release it, is his new series, Africa's Great Civilizations, which I am incredibly, incredibly excited about because Dr. Gates visits some amazing locations uh, while exploring 200,000 years of history. I'm 
I have like rabies level excitement for this. Series. I do too. Well, and that's one of the things that was so exciting when we got the original email about all of this was that that is uh, an area of history that it can be hard to research from here because the resources available to us are kind of limited. So ha- being able to go directly to the source, super exciting. Yeah. And he's also promoting uh, AT&T 28 Days, a celebration of black history, which is a project that features all kinds of cool interactive content that celebrates black history pioneers, past and present, and shares the view that we always talk about on the show, that black history doesn't need to be confined to one month of the year. It can be celebrated year round. So for more information on that project, which also includes a uh, cool sweeps stakes that uh, they are running as part of that, where you can win a trip to the National Museum of African American History and Culture, which sounds amazing. So you can get more info on all of that at att.com slash 28 days if you want to watch some of those really amazing videos and uh, take in all of the seriously wide breadth (laughs) uh, content that they have to offer there. Dr. Gates is so good at bringing history to life, so we are going to wrap up this introduction of him and jump right into the interview. You are really focused on this wonderful full-spectrum approach to sharing Black history by both looking at the past and at the future while still staying engaged in the present. And I wonder what you think is the most important thing that we can do as a society and as people that are interested in history to make sure that none of us forget the past as we're making the big decisions that shape the future. That's a great question. I think that the place in America traditionally where we become citizens, the place, the institution most responsible for shaping citizenship is our schools. When I went to school, I don't know about your generation, but we had to learn my country tisity. You know, America, the beautiful. Uh, I pledge allegiance to the flag. And the teacher didn't say, today is citizenship day and I'm going to teach you how to be a citizen. They just did it. They did it every day invisibly, osmotically. It was like the air that you breathe. And so what's that relevant to? We need to integrate the content of the contributions of black women and black men, both in this country, on the African continent first, and then throughout the diaspora, into the curriculum, into every subject where it's relevant, so that we're not just teaching it or exclaiming it in this wonderful month of February, the Black History Month. Um, It needs to be there every day. Every day's got to be Black History Month. It's got to be part of the story that every person who sits in a classroom gets about the subject that they're studying. What were the black contributions? What are the contributions of gay people? What are the contributions of women? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I see my job as providing the research and then to translating the research that I do and my peers, fellow scholars do, for a broader audience through the wonderful um, venue or outlet of, of PBS and, and, and other journalistic organs like that. Um, I want to be able to tell the story to other scholars in complex ways, but then to break it down, make it plain, as Malcolm would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and try to make it compelling. And that's what I'm trying to do with the new six-hour series, Africa's Great Civilizations. Which I am so excited about, and I'm going to ask you about that in just a minute. But first, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the Finding Your Roots series that you have worked on for the last several years. 
Um, okay. I know that, of course, in every situation, the participants that you are helping discover their past are often met with moments of surprise. But I have to wonder if there have been any moments of discovery that really caught you off guard along the way. Yes, it's a great question. We're filming season four of Finding Your Roots now. Um, I'm very, very excited about that. And um, I, I think in one of the biggest surprises was from the, the, the hip-hop star LL Cool J. Um, who is Todd Smith, who's a very old friend of mine. And Todd was very, is very close, well, was very close, I'm sorry, because his grandparents were dead, to his grandparents, uh, who took, his grandparents took Todd and his mother in uh, after Todd's parents split up. And he, you know, even in um, Mama Gonna Knock You Out, you know, his first rap video, mm-hmm. his grandmother comes down the stairs at the end, and says, Todd, take the garbage out. You know, it's really funny. He's down <laughs> in, the, in the basement boxing. <laughs> and when it turns out, that lady was not his biological grandmother. The people who raised him and whom he loved so much and who nurtured him so deeply and profoundly were not his biological grandparents. His mother, it turns out, was adopted, and Todd did not know this, and neither did his mother. And I had to call and tell him. Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah, and we found out through DNA. And then, you ready for this? We found his biological grandmother, an 89-year-old lady who was living in a nursing home. And we tracked her down. And we didn't film this because it was very private. And we arranged for Todd's, LL Cool J's mother and LL to meet, um, LL's mother to meet her mother. She had had a baby in 1947, I believe, and put her up for adoption. And they, we've arranged a family reunion. Now they're really close. And boy, that's a heavy, that's a heavy root story. I'm going to tell you that. And I had to call him. He goes, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> you know, it was, insane. he had no idea, no inkling, no inclination. And I had to be the one to tell him. And he goes, are you sure? Are you sure? I was very upset. And now, of course, he's very happy that it, that it happened. And he, one of the things we learned, one of the morals of the story is that families, you can have a socially constructed family and you can have a biological family. And he, so now he's busy discovering his biological grandmother. And thank God um, this happened before it was too late. It, and I never anticipated this kind of thing could possibly happen through finding your roots. But it did. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine. You know what the brothers say on the street: DNA don't lie. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine what it must be like for his biological grandmother to be like, "Oh, by the way, you are LL Cool J's grandmother." <laughs> <laughs> I know, man. And they, he's. We had dinner about two weeks ago in L.A., and I met his daughters, and um, the uh, he showed me some pictures of a family reunion, and it's amazing, and you could see the family resemblance. And, and remember, I said that Todd was boxing in the basement. His biological grandfather was light heavyweight champion of the world. Oh my! Goodness. He was a famous boxer, and then became a boxing trainer. <laughs> Go figure, you know. And he had no idea, none, zero. That is a wild story. Oof. Uh, and then we'll, wild story. We'll mention your next big project, which I am so excited about, uh, which is Africa's Great Civilizations, that is about to premiere on PBS. And similarly, I have to wonder what the most memorable or surprising discoveries were that you made while making that series, because it is a lot of content. 
it's a lot of content. <clears throat> it's 200,000 years of African history. <laughs> so we start with mitochondrial Eve, who is our common great-great-great-great-grandmother for all human beings, all human beings, whether they're black, yellow, red, white, brown, all descend from African people on the African continent. This is an indisputable fact. 50 to 80,000 years ago, our uh, handful of uh, anatomically modern human ancestors walked out of Africa. So everybody is ultimately descended from an African. We're all Africans. And I'll tell you three amazing things. Um, one, the third country in the world to convert to Christianity. The first was Rome. The second was Armenia. The third, Ethiopia in 350 A.D., before Ireland, England, any of those places, some of the places didn't even exist, the Ethiopians, became, the king, Azana, became a Christian in 350 A.D. Second amazing fact. The richest man in the history of the world was the emperor of Mali. His name was Mansa, M-A-N-S-A, Musa, M-U-S-A. He was the emperor of Mali, and in 1324, he was so rich because they had one of the world's great sources of gold. We don't realize that most of the gold of Europe between 1000 A.D. and 1500 A.D. came from West Africa. The Sahara De Desert wasn't a barrier. It was a highway, a trading highway back and forth between across the Sahara, across the Mediterranean, up the Red Sea, up the Nile, down the Nile. And so he had all the gold. And he made a pilgrimage to Mecca because he's a Muslim. He did the Hajj, as it's called. And he had so much gold, when he passed through Cairo, it devalued. He was just giving gold away. <laughs> <laughs> and it devalued the gold market for years and years and years. You could go to networth.com and check it out. It's according to networth.com. At least the last time I looked. <laughs> and the third thing is every woman named Candace. you have any friends named Candace? I do. Every woman named Candace got their name. Their name derives from the... Uh, Nubian or Meroitic name for queen, which is Kandake, K-A-N-D-A-K-E. The queen of Meroe, which was the successor kingdom to Cush and Nubia, they're continuous um, kingdoms, was called the Kandake. And uh, in the book of Acts, in the New Testament, Philip is walking along the road and he runs into this, uh, the, the Candace's treasurer, who is a, a eunuch, and it's, it calls her the queen of Ethiopia, but Ethiopia was just the name at that time used for the land of black people. It was just the name used for Africa. But we happen to know that this man was the treasurer for a queen called Amani Renus. And Amani Renus, in 24 BC, she dressed like a man, had one eye, and she sister was bad. She <laughs> defeated the Romans. She defeated the Romans. Rome had taken over Egypt. She uh, took them on in battle and defeated them, took a statue of Augustus Caesar back to her kingdom, buried it in front of her throne. So everybody came to see, their, had to see him, see her, had to step on his head. <laughs> <laughs> that is one of the great queens in, in history, the Kandaki Amani Renus. And that is the source of the name of every woman named Candace, whether they're black, white, red, yellow, or whatever. I love it. That is your amazing black history facts for today. <laughs> <laughs> we know because we do a history podcast uh, twice a week that it can be really, really tricky sometimes to get good primary source material for African history. 
So I'm wondering how oh, yeah. you structured your research to ensure that you were truly capturing that African perspective. Well, we I had um, over a dozen. I had 15 academics, professors who are experts of various phases of African history. No one person could master African history because African history, who could master 50,000 years of history or 200,000 years of history? Yeah, Nobody. it's immense. And Africa is the, the most genetically diverse continent in the world and the second most linguistically diverse. So you need different kinds of specialists. And even 15 is not enough, but that you know is the best that we could do. Plus a lot, a lot more academics I interviewed, as you'll see in the film. And so... What my job is, is to translate into film the great scholarly work done by a range of, of Africanists, professors of African studies, black, white, male, female, African, African-American, you know, whatever, whoever was doing the best work in the field. And I put them on camera, gave them full credit, and that's what we've done. And then John Thornton and Linda Haywood, who are very prominent in the film, and they're my colleagues at BU across the river here in uh, Massachusetts, um, they, the, the two of them, their hu- husband and wife, and I are, are writing a companion book to the series. Um, but the be- probably one of the best books uh, available for anyone listening is by Professor Cr- Professor Christopher Eret E H R E T, and it's called um, African Civilizations, and it's in paperback. He's got a new edition out now. I think it's the University of Virginia. And it's very readable, and it, go, it tells the history. It's called The Civilizations of Africa, A History to 1800. And he just published a new edition. We will include the information on Christopher Eret's book in our show notes, so you will have that ready and handy if you want to follow up on Dr. Gates's advice to look at it. And I will confess that, as we alluded to a little earlier, I am incredibly envious of Dr. Gates' team of 15 scholars of African history. <laughs> yeah, when he was talking about the show and I asked how they ensured that they got, you know, this this true depth of information in the African experience, he was like, well, I have all of these people. And I was like, oh, man, I have all those people. Um and we actually had to stop the interview there where we just broke because Dr. Gates had to run and catch a flight. But very fortunately, he and his team were kind enough to work out a second session for us to keep chatting. So we're going to get to that. But first, we're going to pause for a word from one of our fantastic sponsors. Hey, Holly, we have some exciting news. Yeah, I am wildly excited. And uh, people will have another opportunity to watch me cry at art. Yeah, you sounded so calm, and it's not a calm situation at all. Uh, Our trip to Paris last year was really successful, so we're doing another similar trip this year, but this time to Rome and Florence. It's May 14th through 21st, 2020, and like last time, it is with a company called Defined Destinations, who is planning out this whole trip for us. Yeah, and during that week-long trip, we are going to see some of the great art that we have talked about on this show many times, including Michelangelo's David. We are going to go to Tuscany. We're going to visit St. Peter's Basilica. We are going to the Sistine Chapel. So it's going to be a fantastic trip. You can get the whole list of places that we are going and information about booking at defineddestinations.com. Scroll down to the Roman Florence trip with Stuff You Missed in History class or come over to our social media. We have posts about it there too. 
Hey, listeners, I wanted to tell you about a new podcast from iHeartRadio called The Women, hosted by Rose Reed. It is a fascinating and deep dive interview show where Rose talks to changemakers and disruptors and she finds out what really drives them. So she will ask each of them, what was your first stand and how do you navigate success and failure? And really, what's the cost of fighting for others? These interviews are really personal and they're candid and sometimes they're a little bit crass, but they are always really enlightening. You can listen to these firebrands and takeaway lessons that will help you navigate your own life and forge your own path. The debut season includes women like Valerie Plame, the former CIA agent who is now running for Congress, and whistleblower and pediatrician Dr. Mona Hanna-Attisha, who exposed the Flint water crisis and became the center of a swirling, swirling amount of problems, uh, and the legendary Buffy St. Marie, 60s songwriter and activist. Uh, I have personal interest in this show because I adore Rose and I executive produce it, and I think you're really going to enjoy the way that she gets into these conversations that feel like two friends talking, and they are an absolute delight. So subscribe to The Women on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Next up, Dr. Gates shares stories of the amazing travels that were part of the production of Africa's Great Civilizations and how the team selected the featured location. So my next question is, uh, when you have this amazing wealth of opportunity and potential topics to cover, how did you select the locations that ended up being featured on the show? Oh, that's a great question. Well, remember I had um, a board of 15 professors from all over, Africans, um, Americans, uh, Europeans, People were the most outstanding, some of the most outstanding people in their field, each one excellent, representing different time periods in different regions. Africa is so big. There are over 50 countries. Yeah. And we're talking about 200,000 years of African history. The, the early history course is prehistory. It's based on genetics and archaeology from the um, ascent of human beings and their out-migration from the African continent 50,000 years ago, and then genetically from mitochondrial Eve, our common female ancestor 200,000 years ago, we're all descended from this woman. And we're all descended from those um, small group of Africans who left the continent some 50 and 80,000 years ago. But when we, then when we get to Egypt, you know, we pick it up about 3000 BC, 3500 BC, and that's 5,000 years of, of written history. So it's a long, long um, uh, time period to cover. So what I did, I wrote to all these people and a lot of other people, and I said, give me a a wish list. If we had all the time in the world, what would be the most important stories that you would think that, that would be essential to knowing the full history of Africa? And I'm not talking about just sub-Saharan Africa. I'm not talking about just West Africa, South Africa. I'm talking about Africa. Because right. as you know, it was a long tradition of, of acting like Egypt was some part of Europe. Right. It didn't have anything to do with black people. We know that's a lie. Yeah. Um, so, I, and then I got lists, oh my God, lists of hundreds, <laughs> hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of stories. But you know, you can only tell about 10 to 12 stories in a one-hour TV show. Right. In fact, the next time you watch a documentary, just look at your watch 
and every every five six minutes there's a new story. Mm-hmm. That's how the logic works. They're like chapters. So then I had to group them by time period. So say uh, three thousand BC to the birth of Christ is one period, and then from one AD to 1000 AD. You know, we had to do it like that. And then uh, we also had to figure out what we could shoot because I made a film series about Africa in 1998 called Wonders of the African World. And I went a- anywhere I wanted to go, including uh, Timbuktu and the, in Mali and the great mosque at Jenny in Mali. Um, the problem is Timbuktu now is dominated by jihadists. Right. So you, you you're forbidden from going there. You know, no insurance company will back you. The American government doesn't want you to go there. I mean, you literally cannot go. Um, and you can't take a film crew there. So I couldn't film there. And we had to use certain uh, stock kind of footage. So you won't see me this time standing at the great mosque, the Sankare Mosque in Timbuktu, which was the site of the great university, of, of one of the great universities of the African continent. So... We had to, to um, take into consideration practical concerns such as that. But over that's why it took five years. It took four years to plan it, <laughs> research it and plan it, and then one year to shoot it. I took a sabbatical from Harvard last year, and I went to 12 countries with film crew. And, you know, sometimes we slept in tents, and sometimes we slept in nice hotels, and sometimes we had to use um, what used to be called outhouses and right. <laughs> and uh, other, shall we say, other less fancy <laughs> <laughs> methods. And other times we stayed in five-star hotels. Um, we went from uh, Nigeria and Ghana and Benin to the Sudan. In the Sudan, the American government sent the ambassador and a security team with us. And we uh, camped out in a hotel, which is all tents. Um because, you know, you never knew what was going to happen. And we had 24-7 protection. So it was complicated and went all over South Africa, Zimbabwe, Tanzania, Zanzibar. It was wonderful, really. And for me, I've been now, I think, to 20, 21 African countries. There are over 50 African countries, so I got a long way to go. <laughs> I hope I hope the series is successful so I can make more great African civilizations. Because yeah. I love Africa. And I want to help, and and I want this story to be told. It's just not fair what happened to our people. I know how trite that sounds. But, you know, in addition to being enslaved, when finally we get rid of slavery, then comes colonialism after 1884. When the European nations took a big map of Africa, they were in Berlin at a conference, and they cut it up like you, you carve up a pizza pie and just passed out slices to each other. And then finally, we get rid of colonialism. 1956, Sudan becomes independent. 1957, Ghana. In 1960, 17 African nations become independent, etc. But they, what they did was wipe out our history. So that even Africans don't know the history of their own civilizations uh, in, in what today are their own countries, let alone, let's say if you're a Nigerian, what was happening in Ghana or what was happening in South Africa. When, as an African-American, as you well understand, when we look at Africa, it looks like one place. Um, you know, all these little differences between Ghana and Nigeria and Togo and Guinea are irrelevant to us. What we want is to know the history of the African continent. And why? 
because New World black people are the true Pan-African people. Our uh, ancestors came from a wide range of cultures and ethnicities, from Senegambia uh, down through Angola, and even over to um, Madagascar, Mozambique. So our ancestors didn't come from every place. None of our ancestors came from Ethiopia or the Sudan, etc. But they came from a wide range of countries and cultures and created a new black people, a Pan-African people. So we are the first Pan-African people, and I want to tell the Pan-African story. That's so excellent. And you're right. It is Africa's history is so left out of the history books that I'm so excited that we're going to get to see it. Uh, and I wonder. Yeah, and you know what? That's why, if if I may, yeah. I just want to say I didn't get a chance to say this to you last time. That's why I'm glad that this program is sponsored by AT&T and it's 28 Days Celebrating Black History. And I want uh, us to think of black history as encompassing the African-American experience in North America, but also the Afro-Latin and Caribbean experiences, Mm -hmm. as well as the experiences of black people on the African continent. We have to think of ourselves as part of a worldwide movement of black people and their history is our history, and our history is their history. I have to wonder if, in the midst of all of this travel uh, and filming, if there was a particular location that really touched you or moved you in some way, or just that was your favorite. Oh, man, that's like asking you to choose among your children. <laughs> <laughs> but I tell you that when you go to the Sudan, and many people won't go there because um, – it's under uh, Sharia law, and as uh, the the present administration is one of the countries it seeks to ban immigration from is the Sudan. But there is a rich history of Islamic civilization and culture, and pre-Islamic civilization culture going back to the Kingdom of Kush, and the, that's the Kingdom of Kush that you read about in the Bible is the black trading partner and rival to Egypt. And they fought with each other. They made love with each other. They colonized each other. They traded with each other. Cush conquered Egypt in 750 BC so that there were seven pharaohs who were absolutely black. And um, the archaeologist Charles Bonnet, I think in the year 2003 or 2004, unearthed the buried statues of these brothers with clearly African features. I mean, there's no doubt about it. You know, people say, well, the Egyptians were more mixed or they look like Egyptians today. These are like black brothers, <laughs> as they say at the barbershop. <laughs> so no no argument there. And um, they had their own pyramids and their own continuous civilization going back from at least 3000 B.C. up through the Christian period. Listening to the story of the logistics for filming Africa's Great Civilizations, all I could think of was that it sounded very intense to try to figure out what they were going to do and how it was going to work. Uh, and I'm particularly excited, and I bet Tracy is too, to see Great Zimbabwe featured on the show. Absolutely. Um, uh, yeah, which we didn't get to talk about in the interview, but it's one that I'm really excited about since we did an episode on it. Yeah, and the uh, you know I've seen video footage and lots and lots of photographs of it, but I am sure this will be incredible. Next up, we will talk about how history, and particularly African history, has inspired Dr. Gates since he was a kid. But first, we will uh, pause for another word from a sponsor. The only way is through. 
a new podcast in partnership with iHeartRadio and Under Armour. Join us as we hear from the world's greatest athletes, coaches, and trainers as they discuss how they utilize training, competition, recovery, and the latest innovations in fitness to improve their performance and push through their personal, physical, and mental challenges. Here is Canadian heptathlete Georgia Ellenwood. You can practice every day because you're working on things. Like you might slow something down or exaggerate another thing, but when you're competing, you're going as hard as you can for even that short amount of time. It's a lot of intensity and it's a lot of physical power, it's a lot of mental power. I think that's why it's so draining and to shift gears after every event, like, oh, I just ran the hurdles, now I have to think about high jump. How do I get as high up in the air as I can after I just tried to run as fast as I can? Giving that much intensity in such contrasting events can can be really be difficult. Listen to The Only Way Is Through, available now on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, let's hop right back into the last segment of Dr. Gates' interview in which we're going to talk about his inspiration and what gives him hope for the future. have to wonder what you what you find the most inspiring about all of this history you know, what I find the first the thing that gives me the rush even when you just asked me that question was that I was a really good student and I remember when I was 10 that was 1960 the year that Africa became independent and just for whatever reason nobody could figure it out in my household because it wasn't exactly like my family was wearing dashikis and growing afros you know what I mean <laughs> right <laughs> But I became really interested in Africa, and I started searching. And, of course, in our textbooks of that, there was nothing about Africa except that our ancestors were savages, quote-unquote, primitive, quote-unquote, waiting on Europeans to rescue them from their heathen state, <laughs> heathen state and, you know, make them civilized. This is a lie. This is one of the worst lies ever told in human history. The second, The third nation to convert to Christianity was the empire of Ethiopia. Rome converted first. Jesus is crucified. Rome becomes the center of Christianity. The second nation to convert is Armenia. The third nation is Ethiopia in the year 350 AD. Long before many, many places in Europe, but long before any place except Armenia and Rome converted to Christianity. The emperor Azena converted to Christianity. And when you go to Ethiopia, you realize it's been a continuous civilization for thousands of years. And they have castles and <laughs> and get kings and queens and bishops too. And, you know, images of black saints and black berries and black Jesuses. It's beautiful. You know, it's really moving. But also being in Nubia, the kingdom of Cush, which I read about in the Bible, I had no idea where it was. And knowing that that's been a continuous civilization from 3000 BC, and they, the elite would bury themselves, have themselves buried in pyramids, which are still there in the desert. They developed a written language. Europeans said that our ancestors in Africa didn't have writing. That's not true. They had their own language called Meroitic, which no one has even been able to decipher yet. They're still, with all our computer technologies, they're still trying trying to translate. Um, Meroitic um, into English, and, and they can't do it, but they'll crack it one day. That uh, and also the fact that these African kingdoms they traded with Europe, they sent delegations to Europe, they had embassies in Europe, um, 
the, the myth of our ancestors being cut off was in, until um, uh, Stanley found Dr. Livingston. Mm. <laughs> you know, Dr. Livingston, I presume we all know that yeah. story. It's just wrong. Africans were trading across the continent with each other, and they were trading with the larger world. You have to see the Sahara Desert, the Nile River, the Red Sea, the Indian Ocean as highways. And our ancestors were just as curious about what was on the other side of the sea, or as the song went when we were kids, on the other side of the mountain, as Europeans or Asians were. The king of, um, the, the emperor of uh, Great Zimbabwe in uh, the 13th century dined off porcelain plates made in China. Right. Now, how did those plates get from China? Right. <laughs> and, you know, because people traded. Yeah. They traded. What's a, some, some, uh, <laughs> Astronaut drop them out of the sky. <laughs> they traded with the Chinese. They traded with Indians. And so we, we Africa was a cosmopolitan place uh, from time immemorial. But Europeans created a fiction of our ancestors as being stupid, ugly, dumb, savage, heathen. You pick the negative adjective and it was applied to our ancestors. And they did it to justify slavery. Yeah. They did it to justify colonialism, to say, look, we're doing these people a favor. And often, you know, casting aspersion by, on our people by saying some of them are cannibals. I mean, really, please, come on. That, <laughs> and now our job, the job of those of us who are part of the Black Studies Revolution, and I started Yale in 69, which is the year that, uh, except for San Francisco State, which started in 68, Black Studies was born in 1969. And now, all these years later, people like me, my colleagues and I are in a position to tell the story not only to each other, to other scholars, and to journalists like you, but to students, and even to integrate the curricula from pre-K, kindergarten, junior high, and high school. Because that's how you, what we call, naturalize a story. Right. You know, we need the story of our ancestors on both sides of the Atlantic, in Africa, in the Caribbean, Latin America, and in North America, to be integrated into the history of civilization. So that our all kids would know that the first iron technology in the world was developed by black people in Africa in 1800 B.C. The second earliest invention of ceramic technology, 12,000 years ago in Africa, 3,000 years before the Middle East, 4,000 years before Europe, only China's is older. And cotton textile weaving developed in the Sudan in 5000 BC, as early as it did in India. I remember learning the history of each of those technologies back in the day. Africa was nowhere in sight, man. Right. Nobody even dreamed of putting Africans on a list of technological innovators. So we have to tell the truth. And you know, there's a tendency sometime among our people to do two things. One, to exaggerate <laughs> what we did. Or to leave out the bad stuff like the African elites role in the slave trade. You can't do that. Right. You have to tell the story with warts and all because our ancestors are just as complicated, just as human as any other people. You know, there were good people and bad people and some people did great things and some people did some mean things. And, and we have to tell the full story. Um, Chaka Zulu became the great leader of the Zulu people. Um, well, someone was on the throne before him. He was illegitimate. Well, let's just say his half-brother 
happened to have been assassinated to make room for Chakazulu. Right. <laughs> now, I know all of us at one point or another want to kill our brothers and sisters. <laughs> <laughs> but he did it. <laughs> that makes the story interesting. That makes the, the human beings yeah. much more complicated, more fascinating. Uh, and then the last question, and then I will let you go. Uh, we are, of course, in a really tumultuous time. Bigotry is kind of front and center in the public conversation. So I have to wonder if there is something from the past that you draw on to give you hope for the future. Oh, yeah. When um, um, the, the greatest period of black freedom before the civil rights era, after 1965, the passage of the – well, 64, the passage of the Civil Rights Act and 65, the Voting Rights Act – Historically, before that, the greatest period was Reconstruction, as you know. But Reconstruction only lasted 10 years. And in 1877, the Hayes-Tilden Compromise ended Reconstruction. So I think many of us feel a little bit like, say, Frederick Douglass uh, felt when he realized that Jim Crow de jure segregation was being, re- was being imposed on the United States in an attempt to strip away all the rights that black people had gained from the end of the Civil War in 1865 to the end of Reconstruction. And near the end of his great, long, and noble, and glorious life, a journalist asked Frederick Douglass, what message would you leave for black people of the future? What, What words of wisdom? And you know what Douglass said? I'm going to leave them with three words. Agitate, agitate, agitate. And that's what we have to do. I love the fact that these town halls are erupting all over the country. The Women's March with all these millions of of activists um, coming out to protest the challenge to a right of a woman to control her body, the uh, threats to voting rights, um, the um, unlawful deportation of immigrants, the banning of the sort of Islamophobia that is uh, being generated, which is just disgusting. You know, and any of us who love freedom, and and who love the um, you know the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, we all have to stand and and stand against xenophobia, stand against Islamophobia, stand against discrimination against our trans um, our trans fellow citizens, and we have to stand against anti-Semitism. We have to stand against um, um, any form of discrimination that we cannot. Let the rights, you see, I was on The View yesterday, and it occurred to me, I said, you know, under Barack Obama, we thought that the millennium had come. We went to sleep. We thought that that, that nothing could change. And Barack Obama's administration seemed like a thousand years ago now. (laughs) (laughs) And so we have to organize and know that we're, we're in a battle, and it's another civil rights movement. And that's where we have to put our minds. so deeply love the passion and excitement that Dr. Gates just exudes when he talks about Africa's rich history and how important it really is to get that history into the conversation of global history. Yes, for that reason, I am so, so excited about Africa's great civilizations, which, as we said earlier, if you're listening to this podcast on the day that we released it, it starts tonight, February 27th at 9 p.m. 8 central on PBS. And so, so much thanks to Dr. Gates for making the time to talk to Holly two different times. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yes, I'm very, very grateful. We would have we would have been really stretching to try to make an episode out of just that first segment. So yeah, well, and I I love his work so much. I have relied on it uh, for numerous episodes. If you look in our show notes, you will find many, many references to things that he has written and talks that he has given. So uh, thank you so so much, Doctor Gates, for being on our show and for uh, taking the time to talk to Holly. Yeah. It was amazing. So now we can hop right into listener mail. And it's a listener mail that's so sweet. I love, love, love it. It's it's one of my current favorites. I know I say that all the time, but we get a lot of good stuff. Uh, so this one is from our listener, Stacy, And she writes, Dear Holly, when I found out a fellow teacher was going to Hong Kong, the first question I asked was, are you going to Disney? Explaining that if he went, he had to bring home a souvenir from Mystic Manor so that I could send it to a podcaster who I adore involved explaining... Uh, podcast, Disney obsession, and what exactly Mystic Manor was. All worth it because he came through with this little fella. This is Lord Mystic's mischievous monkey, Albert, who unleashes the mayhem of a magic music box, and he is very happy to be living with you now. This is the cutest thing ever. Mystic Manor is one of my bucket list items because it looks so gorgeous, and the, the track system is super fascinating. Uh, and it's just luscious and it has a Danny Elfman soundtrack. So I super want to go get on that ride. But in the meantime, I have this adorable little Albert that is so sweet. It is incredibly cute. It's painfully cute. Uh, so I will post a picture of that on our social as well. She goes on. Thank you for countless hours of intelligent and thoughtful content. Please let Tracy know that if the perfect thing ever presents itself, I will gladly send it along to her as well. Until then, you both have my gratitude for being the amazing, brilliant, brilliant friends I keep tucked in my pocket while walking the dog, doing the dishes, waiting in lines and other mundane life tasks. Your company enriches my days and also makes me look like a super smarty pants in the teacher's lounge when I pull out obscure info from past episodes. Stacey, thank you so much. This is so sweet and so thoughtful, and I, I am so touched that uh, a gift traveled halfway around the world just to get to me because of your uh, machinations and maneuvering. That was incredibly thoughtful and sweet, and I love it. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, if you would like to write to us, you can do so via email at historypodcast at howstuffworks.com. You can also uh, reach us across the spectrum of social media as Mist in History. So that's on Twitter as at Mist in History, Facebook.com slash Mist in History, Mist in History dot Tumblr dot com, Pinterest dot com slash Mist in History and Instagram at Mist in History. If you would like to uh, research a little bit of your own interests, you can go to our parent site, which is House Stuff Works. Type in almost anything in the search bar and you're going to come up with so much content. You will be busy and entertained for a long time. Uh, you can visit me and Tracy at mistinhistory.com where you can find episodes along with show notes of all of the episodes we've worked on together. And we're making a, a little change right now where we used to publish show notes and episodes separately. Now they're going to be merged into one page. Just FYI if you go looking. Uh, <laughs> and you can also find a back catalog of every episode of the show that has ever existed in any of the previous host incarnations from the beginning all the way to present day. So we encourage you, please come and visit us at mistinhistory.com and our parent site, howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Hi, 
guys, my name is Sammy J. I have been working as a correspondent and interviewer since I was 13. And now at 17, I am so honored to be the youngest person to have her own podcast on iHeartRadio. It's called Let's Be Real with Sammy J. We'll have in-depth and unfiltered conversations with celebrities, activists, athletes, and influencers. We'll cover topics we're curious about, topics my guests are passionate about, and topics many of us are just too afraid to talk about. I get past the fluff to what's real. We go there, and it's fun, pretty crazy, and very revealing. Listen to Let's Be Real with Sammy J on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, it's Bobby Bones. I host The Bobby Bones Show, and I'm pretty much always sleepy because I wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning. A couple hours later, I get all my friends together, and we get into a room, and we do a radio show. We share our lives, we tell our stories, we try to find as much good in the world as we possibly can, and we look through the news of the day that you'll care about. Also, your favorite country artists are always stopping by to hang out and share their lives and music too. So wake up with a bunch of my friends on 98.7 WMZQ in Washington, D.C., or wherever the road takes you on the iHeartRadio app.